0: Amen. If you have your copy of God's Word, turn with me to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50, verses 22 through 26. Hear now the Word of the living God. So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household. And Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land, to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. This is the word of the living God, and we say, thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Now, Lord, we pray that in this brief time of the preaching of your word, Christ would be seen and savored, that his voice would be recognized by his sheep, that your spirit would work in our hearts, that the gospel of the glorious Son of God would work its way down into the crevices of our souls. Give us what we need, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Many of you have heard me say this in one way or another but I think there's something particularly special about the graves of Christians. I don't mean that in terms of the errors that were made throughout church history where the bones of saints were worshipped and carried around and treated like relics. But I mean that in the sense of what we see here in Genesis 50. That the saints of God have been given promises from the living God and they live in them and then they are buried with them. But the promise still lives. Just this past fall, my family had occasion to be in one such cemetery where many Puritans from the 1600s and early 1700s are buried. There's nothing special about that land, more so than any other land but there is something reflective for us, isn't there? Because you could turn and you could see, well, there's John Bunyan's grave. There's John Owen's grave. There's Nehemiah Cox's grave. He's, he's the guy that penned much of our confession. And here they lay. But what's special about that is that they were placed in that ground in the hope of the promises of God. Lord willing, in two weeks we will look at the book of Exodus, and in the very first words of Exodus, we read these words, Exodus 1.8, there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now that's a detail that we might pass over if we're not careful. What is it about Joseph and all that his life meant It's important? So this morning, in preparation for our journey through Exodus, I wanted to take us to the very last occurrence of the book just before it. What happens at the end of Genesis? A believer is placed in the ground in the hope of the promise of God. You're looking for a point or a lesson for today's sermon. It might be this. Because God has promised, we look to Him. And let's to flesh that out. Notice in Genesis 50, verses 15 through the end of our passage, we get that famous story. Boys and girls, you remember this story. Maybe you've heard it. Where Joseph has the opportunity, after his brothers have treated him really, really bad, to by the grace of God in his life offer forgiveness to them. Verse 18 of Genesis 50, you remember his brothers had cheated him they didn't kill him but they tried to and they sold him into slavery into Egypt and that's how we get to Egypt in the first place genesis 50 verse 18 then his brothers also went and fell down before his face and they said behold we are your servants joseph said to them do not be afraid for i am for am i in the place of god but as for you you meant evil against me but god meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is to this day, to save many people alive. There's a whole sermon right there. Sometimes bad things happen in this life, and we wonder, is God really good? Can God be trusted? All the while, God is orchestrating all things for His glory and the good of His people. God's purpose in the entire Joseph story, all that happened was keeping a promise alive, a promise that our brother just read a few moments ago. Well, in verses 22 to 26, we see that since God can be trusted, Joseph dies believing. In fact, as we'll see in just a few moments, he basically takes an oath with other Israelites And he says, God is going to visit you one day long after I'm dead. In fact, you're going to put my body in the ground and all that's going to be left is bones. But I want you to promise me now while I still have breath that when that day comes, you will take my bones with you because God has promised. So I stand sometimes at the graves of Christians not to worship their lives, not to worship their bones. But I stand sometimes and I think, This person lived in the promise of God. This person died, perhaps in their last few moments, clinging with all the faith granted to them by the Holy Spirit, clinging to the promises of God, that God would one day do what? Raise these bones. Well, how did we get here? Maybe you're new to the Bible. Maybe you're thinking, I think I've heard of the book of Genesis. But you're in the last few sentences. How did we get here? Well, let's take just a moment and see how we got here, and then let's consider three aspects of this promise of God. Before God created the world, the plan of God was to save people from sin, which would come into their hearts. He would give them the ability, a free will, an unrestrained will, as it were, and they would sin against Him, but before anything was created, 2 Timothy 1.9, Titus 1-3, we see that God's plan from the beginning was to save sinners. Then we read in Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, the very first sentence of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, in one sense, friend, that's your beginning. That's my beginning. We had parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, but God created all things. It just... Doesn't even seek to defend God, does it? Explain God. No, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Though all things are beautifully created our brother read of the garden this beautiful temple paradise where God's presence was known by his creatures Adam and Eve. But they sinned against God, didn't they? And in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 God speaks to Satan and to each of them and our brother read the words that he gave to Satan. God said to the serpent, the enemy, the evil one, the fallen angel of old, I will put enmity, I will put war between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The very promise of God from the beginning then is there is a seed who is coming and he will crush the serpent's head. Well, Adam and Eve have children, don't they? It's interesting in Genesis chapter 4, it seems as though when these children are born, Eve almost looks to this promise of God. It's with God's help that I have given birth to a man. And if you're reading for the first time, you're meant to walk through the book of Genesis going, where is the seed who will crush the head of Satan? Where is he? Well, Cain and Abel are born. Cain, boys and girls, is upset at his brother. He's covetous in his heart. He's jealous. So he kills his brother. He is sent off into exile and Seth is born. Several chapters later, we read of a man by the name of Noah. Think about this, boys and girls. What happens with Noah? Well, Noah, is he the seed? Is he the one to come? God, destroys the world, but saves Noah and his family. Then we get to Babel, don't we? It seems as though there's this promise, and the world keeps getting worse. People decide instead of making a name for God, they're going to make a name for themselves. So they build a tower. They cluster in one place. God said, spread out. They cluster in one place. God spreads them out by virtue of their language. Then we get to Genesis chapter 12. Turn there with me. Now the Lord had said to Abram. Abram is a man who lives in a desert. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you and in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. In other words, in your family, in your seed, there it is again, seed. This blessing from of old is going to come to pass. Well, God makes a covenant with Abraham His flesh is marked, literally marked, through circumcision. It will be through your family that this Messiah will come. This seed will come. You will be given a land. This mark in your flesh and every one of your sons and grandsons will remind you continually, God has made a promise. We live in this promise. One is coming and it's from us. But it doesn't take too long before we read some of the middle chapters of Genesis, of the wickedness of mankind, think of the city of Sodom, we read of Sodom, and its destruction. Sodom is Hampton Roads, friend. Sodom is New York, friend, but God has not rained down fire on us, but there are instances in Scripture where certain Sodoms are destroyed, and this one was. The wickedness of man is pervasive. Brothers split, we get Ishmael and Isaac, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob has a lot of sons, doesn't he? And one of those sons, boys and girls, is Joseph. One of those sons is Joseph. Turn with me then all the way to Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45. We're getting a quick survey of the first book of the Bible. Genesis 45, verse 25 Then they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob their father. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. Joseph, the one I love, he's still alive? When they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. Then Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Chapters 46 and 47, we see that Joseph settles the people of God in Egypt and cares for his family. Look at Genesis chapter 47. We see there that in the midst of all of the region, there's a famine. And Joseph, being in Egypt by God's providence, even though it hurt, is able to provide for the family that is carrying this promise of God. You can read of it in chapter 47, verses 13 through 31. But then Joseph's father comes to the end of his days. In chapters 48 and 49, he blesses each of his children. Every last one of them. Notice specifically Genesis 49, verses 9 and 10. One of the boys, one of the sons, his name is Judah. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter, boys and girls, that thing that the king holds, to show that he is the king. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. We've gotten all the way from Genesis 3.15, where God says to Satan, look, there is going to come a seed of this woman, A man is going to come, and he will crush you. Hundreds of years later, we've gone through a lot of men, haven't we? It's not Adam, it's not Seth, it's not Noah. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Now Jacob says, it's Judah. Judah, it's your family that's going to carry this promise along with a king. And that takes us to our particular text. So, what are we left with? Jacob, the father of Joseph, desires to be buried in Canaan. And we read of his death. Look at Genesis 49, verses 28 and following. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel, and this is what their father spoke to them. And he blessed them. He blessed each one according to his own blessing. Then he charged them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. In the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite as a possession for a burial place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is there were purchased from the sons of Heth. And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Bury me with my people in the land that God has promised to us. Living and dying in light of the promise. Well, God has promised, and so we look to him. And for that, I want us to take Joseph, very end of Genesis, right at the beginning of Exodus, as we start this journey and see three things about what it looks like. To consider this promise of God. Three things. Firstly, it's knowing the promise. If we take our eyes now and turn them to our text, the last few verses of Genesis 50, Joseph is there with all of his family, his grandchildren. They're bringing the, the babies to Joseph's knees. And he's, he's living in the promise. But the first thing that we see is knowing the promise. Knowing the promise. Look at verse 24. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you. And bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. By now, every last one of these men had been marked in their flesh. The mark of circumcision. A reminder of the promise. What's the promise? God's going to give us a land and a people and a kingdom. And Joseph knows that. He knows that. But there are several things that are a part of this promise. There's just a couple of things to review. Joseph knows the promise, and so should we. What are the things that Joseph knows? Well, firstly, that there's a promised seed, Genesis 3.15. By the time you get to Joseph, there has been a promised seed. For 50 chapters, God's movement is unfolding in such a way that by the end of the Book of Genesis, we should be looking for him who is to come. Secondly, there's a promised family. Remember Abraham, Genesis 12. Abraham and your family shall all the nations of the world be blessed. Genesis 17, this promised family is given a a sign, a sacramental sign, if you will, of circumcision. So a promised seed, a promised family. Thirdly, a promised land. Boys and girls... Part of this unfolding promise of God is that each new person who leads this family is reminded of the promise that there is a land and a blessing to come. Let me just remind you, you can turn there if you like, or you can jot these down. Genesis twelve seven. firstly with Abraham. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, Take your descendants, or to your descendants, I will give this land. There at the beginning, Abraham, to your descendants, I will give this land. Well, if you turn all the way over to Genesis chapter 26, verse 3, what do we see there? Isaac. Isaac. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands. And I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. Then there's Jacob, Genesis chapter 35, verse 12. The same promise is given. Genesis chapter 35, verse 12. The land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I give to you. And to your descendants after you, I give this land. You see, by the time Joseph is about to die, he remembers a promised seed, a promised family, a promised land. So much so that his will, his last will and Testament says, take my bones to the land that God has promised. And of course, there's fourthly a promised king. We heard of that Judah, isn't there? A promised king. So Joseph is living in light of these promises of God. Genesis 49, verse 10, where Judah's family is said to be the family from whom the king will come, is the family, boys and girls, where eventually David would be born. And guess who David's great, 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 great grandson would be? Jesus, the king. We can read in Revelation 5, 5, the glorious fulfillment of this reality. Turn to the very last few pages of the Bible. Revelation 5, 5. There we read these words. You remember the book of Revelation. John, one of Jesus' disciples, is having spirit given visions, and he sees this. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Who is in charge of the history of the world? John, don't fret. It's King Jesus. No, Joseph didn't have all of the details that we had, but he knew the promise. Brothers and sisters, you have the promise. If you're here today and you are in Christ, this promised King that is to come, that means that you've come to understand that the center of history is King Jesus who rules and reigns. That this King has promised... A variety of things to those who have faith in Him: forgiveness of sins. No longer will your sins separate you from God's presence. No longer will the evil in your heart define you, for my righteousness, placed on your account by faith, will define you. What else are you promised, you Josephs who live in 2024? You're promised resurrection. You're promised heaven. It's not too much to say, Christian, that God will not leave your bones in the ground either. He will be raising you up on the last day. It's important for us to know the promises. Do you know the promises? Christ dies for my sin, He saves me, He gives me redemption. I have peace with God, Romans chapter 5. That's a promise. When you're in your hospital bed, when you're in your last days, when all of your grandchildren are gathered around you, are you living and dying in this promise? Therefore, having been justified through Jesus Christ, I have peace with God. It's important for us to know the Scriptures because in them are promise after promise to those who are in Christ. Now, maybe you're here today and you you don't know much about the Bible. Someone invited you and you're thinking, I've heard a lot about this book of Genesis and some names that I don't think I've ever heard before. Joseph, Noah, Moses, Abraham. What does that have to do with me? Well, you may not be aware of this or not, but the living God who created you is the God to whom you owe pure, sinless allegiance. But you cannot do it because you break God's law. Every last one of you in this room is a sinner. You've broken God's law. You may say, That's a little unfair. What do you mean? We'll just take God's law written right out for you in Exodus 20. Have you ever worshipped anything in your heart or with your life above God, the living God? Have you ever used the Lord's name in vain? Have you ever disregarded the Sabbath or the Lord's day? Have you ever looked at authority, your parents, the police, your teachers? And said, I don't have to do what you tell me to do. You ever murdered with your hands or with your words? You know, Jesus says that if you hate someone in your heart, you're a murderer. You ever committed adultery or looked at adulterous things? You ever stolen anything? You may say, Nope, never done that. You ever cheated on a test? You ever looked at something that God has given someone else and said, Oh, that should be mine? You're a sinner. That's what that means. Part of understanding this promise is that God makes a promise to any who have ears to hear that if you come to Christ, his death on the cross is the payment for your sins. And his perfect life, which you can read of in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John in the Bible, his perfect life is now what God is looking at instead of your bad record. That's what it means to be a Christian, that's what it means to be saved. That's why it's important for you to know these promises. I'm a sinner, but God has promised to me, wretched sinner that I am, that if I look on Christ, He will wash me clean. So the first aspect of the promise is to know it. But secondly, we see in Joseph's life living the promise. Look, look, look! There at verse 22 and following. Joseph dwells in Egypt. He's not in the land that God has promised yet. He's in Egypt. Through a series of God-ordained circumstances, we're told how long he lives, and then we're told that he gets to see many generations of his kids, as it were. Verse 23, the children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. That phrase there is interesting. Some scholars argue that there was a custom of placing grandchildren on the patriarch's knees, the grandfather's knees. We don't necessarily always do that. Maybe that's what you did. You gave birth to your child. One of your own biological or adoptive parents came in the room and you gave them that baby to say, look, the next generation. Joseph is living, seeing God's promise unfold. My brother Judah is going to be the one through whom the king is going to come. But look, all of our family, it's from us. He's seeing it. Friend, do you live day by day with eyes to see God's promise? God says he's going to be saving sinners. So do you see that and glory in it when God actually saves a sinner? God says he's going to be growing his people. He's going to be growing his church. So do you live like Joseph? Every single day you see God is growing his churches. It's not without conflict. It's not without difficulty. But God is growing. His promises are coming to pass. Perhaps you have eyes like Paul when he's looking at the Philippians. Many of you, I led to Christ. And now I thank my God every time I remember you. Because God is fulfilling, He will fulfill the work that He began in you. Do you have eyes to see that God's promise is sure? And that even in the momentary aspects of your life, you're seeing it come to pass. Joseph was living in light of the promise. So, brothers and sisters, I would submit to you that we are to know the promise and we are to be living in the promise. What is the promise? Christ died for sinners. He offers you grace. Come to Him. Find your place in Him. And He will take you home. Is this promise the content of what you teach your children, of what you sing in your hearts, of what you long to read in the midst of your busy days? Are you living in light of this promise? Do you have moments where, whether it's literal grandchildren or not, the unfolding promises of God are laid right on your knees to see it? Knowing the promise and living the promise, but thirdly and finally, dying in the promise. I want to talk about dying for a moment. Boys and girls, I want to talk about dying for a moment. Look at Genesis 50, verse 25. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died. Not only do we see at the end of his days living in a foreign land with a promise, Joseph there with all of these generations, but we see him dying in this promise. This story that we read of at the end of Genesis is picked up later, all the way in the book of Hebrews and turn there if you like. But in Hebrews chapter 11, there's a long list of people who are given as examples of what it looks like to have faith in Jesus. You know who's written there? Joseph. And you know what is mentioned? Of all the things that you could mention about Joseph if you were going to talk about him being a man of faith, you know the one thing that is mentioned by the preacher of Hebrews? Hebrews 11, 22. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying... Made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Of all the living that could be listed, what is brought to mind is dying. Faith in the midst of dying. The Bible calls what Joseph does here at the last few verses of Genesis 50 an example of exemplary faith, dying well in the promise. Now I know most of us don't like to regularly reflect upon the fact that we will die at some point unless King Jesus comes. Brothers and sisters, I have to tell you, one of the most bold sermons, if you will, it's not the ordinary preaching of the Word of God if you'll allow me to use it for a moment, one of the most bold sermons that we see preached is when, as members of the community of God, one of us dies well. Joseph dies in the promise. So much so that he says, God, God's going to do this. Listen, take my bones when it happens. And it's not going to happen for quite a few years. It's not going to happen for quite a few years. You're not going to take my body. It's going to be my bones. They embalm Joseph, it says, in Egypt and put him in a coffin. But later on in the book of Exodus, we will see. What does Moses take when they all leave? Joseph's bones. And think of this. One resource Just happened to mention this and I I reflected on it a little bit. Think about what was to happen to these people in Egypt. Pretty soon after Joseph dies, their fortunes, as it were, are going to change. There's going to be a new king in town and he doesn't know anything about Joseph and it's going to get really, really, really bad. And you know what will be an occasional monument that's handed down from generation to generation to generation? God is going to take us up out of here. Look over there at that cemetery grave. Joseph, our great-grandfather. He died in this promise. Of course Israel will be so unbelieving so often. But somehow the promise made it sway down that when they left Egypt, Joseph's bones were taken with them. This would have been multiple centuries of hope for the Israelites. Over there are Joseph's bones buried in hope. God has not left us. The death of a believer in hope can be a great encouragement to those who remain living in the promise. So what are we to do with this promise? What does it look like to look to God in the midst of the promise that we've been given in Christ Well, we know it, we study it, we meditate on it, we remember it, we talk about it, we sing about it, we catechize our children in it. God has made covenant promises to believers. And we love the day when new people who don't love Jesus suddenly hear the gospel and come because of the spirit to love him. And to say, I can be included in this promise too. But secondly, we live in it. We have eyes to see that God is doing what he's doing. Just survey what God is doing in missions. We live in America in 2024, and our view of Christianity sometimes, unless we get out a lot, can be so influenced by what we hear on the media and what we see in our own churches, which sometimes can be so exciting. But if we have eyes to see it, as it were, like Joseph... There are people coming to Christ all over this globe. But thirdly, we are to die in the promise. In 1563, some writers who were at the early stages of seeking to reform Christ's church, some brothers, specifically two, put together a list of questions and answers. It's known as the Heidelberg Catechism. The very first question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? It's really our two states, isn't it? (laughs) Life and death. The answer, that I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with His precious blood... Has fully satisfied for all my sins and redeemed me from all the power of the devil, and so preserves me that without the will of my Father in heaven, then the writers go right back to the the body. Not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that all things must work together for my salvation. Brothers and sisters, some of you remember the names because you've been with us long enough. You know the names. They used to sit here. By God's grace, you've sat under a lot of my sermons and of the other brothers in this church. But in His providence, one of the loudest sermons you remember over the last five years is that they died well. They died in the promise. You remember that in the midst of pain and sorrow, it was almost as if the words of Joseph were on their lips. Put me in the ground. God is going to do something with my bones. Based on his promise. As we enter the book of Exodus in just a few weeks, if God wills, Joseph will be forgotten. Things will get difficult. But God will visit his people. He will keep the promise going. Christ will come. And one day, the bodies of every last saint who are united to Christ, will rise. Let us then live and die in this promise. Let's pray. Living God, we pray that you would help us in our living and in our dying. For this, then help us in our knowing. We need to know the promises of God and the Scriptures. Some in this room need to wrestle with the promise that God is going to judge the world, but that He will save all who come to Christ. Lord, we pray that You would cause them to know in their souls the glorious Christ. Help us in our living, to live in light of the promise, and help us in our dying. Whether it's brief or lengthy, help us, O Lord, in our dying. Through it all, may we remember That if we are in Christ, you, Lord Christ, own us in body and soul. We are united to you. And you will take us to that great land of which you promised soon. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.